0: Good morning everyone. I wonder how many of us remember what it's like to be a little kid. I was uh, talking this morning about God with us, God's presence, and I was reminded of Sarah's, my daughter's, first day of school, kindergarten. And Gloria brought Sarah in, and uh, when Gloria started making the move toward the door, Sarah became very panicky and demanded that her mother stay put. Do not move. And Gloria said, I have to go. You will stay in in kindergarten, and I must go. And Sarah said, no, you will stay in kindergarten with me. So that's the way it's been for the last 15 years. We uh, go to school with Sarah every day. (laughs) Actually, what happened is is, uh, Gloria thought she had Sarah firmly established in the kindergarten class. She got up, walked out, and... uh, as Glory's walking back to our house, which at that time was just across the street from the school, she turned around and Sarah was right behind her. No intentions of staying in kindergarten. So that's when you bring up the big guns, Dad. So Glory brought Sarah home and Sarah's crying and upset. And I said, Sarah, you are going back to school right now and I'm coming with you. Went back to school and uh, she stayed, which goes to show that kids love their mothers more than their fathers. (laughs) There's something very special and comforting, isn't there, about the presence of a mom or a dad. In fact, that's the way we all are, even when we get older. There's something very comforting about the assurance or the presence of people we trust and love. And in our case as Christians, the thing that that you and I need to understand is that the, the greatest part of this Christian faith, is the ongoing assurance of God's presence. In fact, if anything really marks what this faith is all about, this this business of going to church on a regular basis, it's the realization that God's presence belongs to God's people. We're going to answer the question today, I hope, that God is really with us and we can know he's with us. We'll look at the scripture and see how God has worked in the history of mankind with with his people. Uh, On that subject of God's presence and how God is always with us, I was reminded of Tony Campolo. Some of you may have heard of him. He was the pastor to the Clintons after Bill Clinton had his uh, serious affair. Uh, Tony Campolo, a very engaging, charismatic uh, minister, theologian, scholar, uh, a guy that generally doesn't know how to keep his mouth shut, doesn't have that small voice in his head that tells him you know, when to speak and when not to. He, he said he was, he was thinking about his, uh, his, his youth, and the day that he realized that God was always with him, watching everything he did, he said it seriously ruined his dating life. Because now he knew that whatever he was doing, God was there watching every move he was making. Folks, what you and I need to understand as, as Christians, as followers of Christ, is this. You're not alone. And whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is that you're facing, and we sometimes forget this. We, we, we sort of pigeonhole our faith. and In fact, all the areas of our, of our lives, we sort of make pigeonholes for them. And when it comes to, to our faith, well, that only happens on Sunday. But the fact of the matter is, is that God is with you and wants to be with you, and he wants to make his presence known to you, all day long, every day, 24-7. In fact, the story of God's people, that's us, can actually be defined by this simple fact, God is always with his people. Think of Israel after they left Egypt. This charismatic leader by the name of Moses comes along and convinces Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. And I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but Moses didn't just have to convince Pharaoh to let the Egyptians, let the Israelites go. He also had to convince the Israelites to leave. Remember, this is their home for 400 years. They they had no intentions, no desire to leave the safety and the comfort of their home. They finally leave and. They're on their way to the promised land, wherever that is. Nobody had ever been there before. Nobody really understood it. All they knew is that it'd be better than the slavery in Egypt. Suddenly, Pharaoh and his armies decide, what have we done? We've let our slaves go. And they get in their chariots and they take off after Israel. Now Israel's terrified because they really believe that they're all alone. Now, Now, watch this, folks. God wants to convince his people that they never have to be afraid, that he is always with them. And what he does is he establishes a pillar of fire by night and a, and a pillar of cloud by day. It's a, a, a reminder to the children of Israel that God is with them, and that God will never, ever abandon them. Poor Israel, Israel who... They've got no army, and we think of Israel today, folks. I mean, the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, we think of the, the Iron Dome, so that if any, any rockets are fired over from, from any of the neighboring countries, there's that Iron Dome that will knock that missile out of the sky. They, I mean, today, they've got nuclear weapons, they've got missiles, they've got the Mossad, the Secret Service, uh, but in those days, they had nothing. They didn't have a sword, they didn't have, they didn't have a gun, they didn't have a shield, they didn't have a thing. But they had everything. They had God himself on their side. Now, I want the Spirit of God to speak to your heart this morning. Because you may think that you're facing this life and and the challenges of motherhood, the challenges of fatherhood, the the challenges of of being a husband, being a wife. You're not facing that alone. In fact, God wants to walk with you through whatever it is that you're going through. He wants to help you so that you succeed and do well, that you're not alone. And so here's poor Israel. They're terrified. They feel vulnerable. And this is is something that Moses is dealing with as the leader of Israel on a regular basis. How can I convince these people that they don't have to be afraid? Because that's what we're like by nature. We're we're fearful. We're worriers. And so God finally speaks to Israel through the prophet Moses. And here's here's what God says. Look at this. Deuteronomy 31.6, it says... So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. And do not panic before them. Who are them? The enemies of Israel, the Amalekites, the Philistines, the wandering nomadic tribes that were wanting and willing and desirous to loot Israel. God says, don't be afraid of them. Don't panic before them. For the Lord your God, watch this, will personally go ahead of you God does not send angels to do the job. He doesn't think, you know, look around at the angels and say, well, which angel shall I send to take care of Israel? Let's see here. uh, Pete, Frankie, you you go take care of those Israelites. God says, I'm going to do it personally. I'm going with them. I'm going to go ahead of you. And look at this Moses says, God will neither fail you nor abandon you. Boy, that was loud. God will neither fail you nor abandon you. Okay, the ring is over. Look over here, folks. Now th- think about that for a moment. What is it that you're going through in your life right now? And you think, man, I'm, I'm on the verge of, it's a verge of collapse. It's not going to make it. It's going to fall apart. And God is here and he wants you to know that he loves you. He wants you to know that he's not going to fail you. He's not going to abandon you. Sometimes when I wake up in the middle of the night, I, I instantly think of those things that I'm dealing with through the course of the day. Things that are, are challenges for me to deal with. People that are have got to struggle. Issues that I have to think about. Has that ever happened to anybody here? And then I'd start I start thinking about it, all, and I just sort of run and rerun the tape over and over again in my head. Why is that? Because by nature, that's what we're like. We're warriors. We're fearful. And if you ask me, or ask Gloria, Gloria, is Alan a worrier? She'd say, no, not really. But the fact of the matter is we all are. There are all things that we rehearse in our heads and we wonder, how am I going to get through this? How am I going to solve this problem? How am I going to deal with my wife? How am I going to deal with my my son? How am I going to deal with my boss? Do you know that God knows how timid we are and he knows how easily spooked we are? He knows that by nature we're fearful. Did you know that before... Adam and Eve fell before they sinned? While they were still living in a perfect state, did you know that they had no idea what fear and what worry is? If you were able to somehow get into a time machine and go to the d- days of Adam and Eve before they sinned, and you started to talk to them about worry and fear, they would have no idea of what you were talking about. And if you tried to explain to them, you know that feeling when, you, when you're worried about something, you chew your nails, and you got butterflies in your stomach, and you break out into a sweat. And You know that feeling? They have no idea what you're talking about. And the reason is, is because at that time before they sinned, look, watch this, they walked, they walked in perfect harmony with God. They understood God's presence, and they knew who God was, and they knew that God was able to help them with every single thing that they needed to deal with. They literally had nothing to worry about. Now, here's the, here's the thing that we inherit from Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, when they fell, what happened was this fear entered in. And we see it in Adam and Eve's children. You know the story about Cain and Abel. Cain kills his brother Abel. Now he knows that the judgment of God is upon him. And Cain says, I'm so afraid that they're going to kill me. They're going to, someone's going to murder me. And we've been like that ever since. You know, something's going to happen. I, you know, I messed up. I made a mistake. And so God's out to get me. He's going to kill me. Someone's going to kill me. Something's going to happen to me. I'm going to fail. I'm going to lose. And so, and so on and so forth. We're fearful and we're warriors by nature. And it's for this reason that God had to send the pillar of fire and the cloud by day so that the children of Israel would know they're not alone. And we see throughout the course of Moses' leadership of Israel, we see Moses going before the, before the Lord God. And here, Look what he says here in Exodus 33, 15 and 16. Moses says to God, God, if your presence does not go with, with us, if your presence doesn't go with us, then don't send us from here. Just let us stay where we are. Let us just die here. There's no point in going anywhere doing anything. Because how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? Moses is saying, God, I'm not going anywhere. I don't want to do anything if your presence is not with us. Now listen, folks, this needs to be the prayer of every single one of us here today. Because the fact of the matter is, is that God wants to go with you wherever you go. God wants his presence to go with you. But the question is this, are you open to it? Do you want his presence? Moses understood what it was to walk with God in Exodus 33, verse 11. It says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Folks, we talked last week about the supernatural, and how God wants to speak to us on a regular basis? Well, guess what? God doesn't just want to speak to us from time to time. He wants you to know his presence on a daily basis, moment by moment. Joshua was called by Moses to take the reins of the leadership of Israel. Now, I'm going to tell you something. When you're the man in charge, when the buck stops with you, man, that's tough. But when you're the number two guy and the buck doesn't stop with you, man, it's, it's easy to make bold statements and, and you're, you've got great ideas and it's easy to tell everybody what to do and what not to do. And that's Joshua, man. He's bold. He's confident. And then suddenly he's the one responsible. The buck stops with him. And what he does or doesn't do will determine whether or not Israel ends up in trouble or not. Man, it's a scary place to be. Here's a million Jewish people, no, again, no IDF, no defense force, no Iron Dome, no missiles, no weapons, no nothing. And Joshua's looking at this and thinking, I gotta provide, I gotta make sure there's food for a million people. I gotta make sure they're protected. I gotta make sure that they don't fight amongst themselves. I gotta make sure that we bring justice to this people. And Joshua says, God, I can't do this. And maybe you feel like that as a father or a mother. I can't take care of these kids. I, can't, I don't know what to do with them. They're driving me nuts. I can't control them. They, they make me crazy. You may have one or two or three or four or six kids. Joshua had a million. Imagine how he felt. Maybe you're facing big problems at work. I don't know. And you think, I can't do this. Now listen to what God says to Joshua. I love this. He says, and right off the hop, right at the very beginning of Joshua's leadership, he says, God says this to Joshua, Joshua 1.5. He says this, Joshua, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. Now watch this. It's the same language we just heard. God says, I will not fail you or abandon you. Folks, do you know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? We have this strange notion or idea that the God of the Old Testament is not the same God of the New Testament. But here's what you and I can go to the bank on. The God that spoke to Moses and said... God will neither fail you nor abandon you. And the God who said to Joshua, I will not fail you or abandon you, is the same God today who's saying to every one of you, I will not fail you and I will not abandon you. Some of you are wondering, man, I don't know, is God with me? And I'm going to tell you this, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you put your faith in Christ, then you can go to the bank on this. God will not fail you. He will not abandon you. He is going to help you the best father that you can be, the best husband that you can be, the best wife, the best mother, the best worker, the best employee, the best boss. God's going to help you because His presence goes with you. That's His promise. And this is what it means to be a Christian. Folks, so important is this concept and this idea. Watch this. That when God, through the prophet Isaiah, speaks to his people, prophesying the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this. The name that God gives to the promised Messiah, Jesus, is Emmanuel. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. This is the essence of our faith. We don't just go through a, a religious rituals and forms and kiss religious pictures and put them up on the wall and, and strike a candle or light a candle and, and do all the religious stuff that people do who are unsure of God's love and presence. We actually have a personal God who is personally involved in our lives. Folks, look at this promise. It's from the Old Testament. For the Lord your God, watch this, will personally go ahead of you. This morning, folks, God wants you to know that you are not alone. That whatever struggle it is, the thing that you're praying your heart out about, the thing that's keeping you awake at night, the thing that's making you cry, the thing that even now is causing your heart to skip a beat because you're fearful. God wants you to know that you're not facing this life alone. God is with us, and you're not alone. He wants you to be assured of his presence at school, at work, at home, wherever you go. The question is this. Why do we forget this? Because every time we remember that God's presence is with us, we are we feel fortified, encouraged, strengthened. But how is it that we forget? Well, I'll tell you. It's because folks, by nature, we try to live independently. As soon as Sarah was getting ready to go to school, once we got her got the problem of her going to school alone conquered, then the next problem we had to get we had to deal with was I'm going to wear to school whatever I want. I don't care if it doesn't match. I'm going to, if I like stripes and plaids and circles, I'm going to wear all of these things because that's that's what I'm going to do because I want to. I'm going to do it independently. We're all like that by nature. No one's going to tell me what to do. You know, life was never meant to be lived independently. Christianity was never meant to be lived independently. Last night I was at a wedding, and people at the table were trying to find out about me. Who are you? Where are you from? What did you do? That sort of thing. And, and then I told them I, was, I actually lived in Greece. I was in Athens for a year, and then I went home to Winnipeg, got married to Gloria, and together we went back to Thessaloniki for three and a half years. And one of the people at the table asked, would you like to go back? Would you ever be interested in going back to Greece? Would you ever want to live there again? And my answer was, absolutely. Yes, I would love to do that. I would love to go back to Greece. And I'll tell you why. Because I discovered something in Greece that I didn't really know here in Canada. In Greece, we learned what it meant to actually have relationship with absolutely everybody that we would meet. So if we came out, for instance, onto our balcony... If there were any other Greeks out on their balconies, the minute they, if you made eye contact with them, it's high and and they they couldn't, couldn't speak Greek and they couldn't speak English, but we're communicating with each other with sign languages and facial expressions and so on and so forth. Our neighbor, Nico and Margarita, if their kids were out on the balcony, if we were ever out there, immediately they'd start chattering away. We we're talking to each other, but neither of us spoke each other's language. It was actually quite hilarious. And then they would say, come over, come over, come over. And I'd say, oh, got to go over to visit with people where we can't speak each other's language. And Nico's, I've got fish. I'm cooking fish. Come. Now, if you know me, you know I'm not crazy about fish. And for those of you who love fish, uh, please forgive me. If fish is somehow battered or like in a, in a finger or cubed or if it's in a stick form, I will eat it. I go to my neighbor's place and he's got all these fish on the barbecue. And I'm thinking to myself, that's a strange way to cook a fish. I thought you're supposed to fill it at first and then cook it. But apparently in Greece they cook it first and then they fill it. Wrong. They cook it whole and then you eat it. Now I'm going to tell you, I have never eaten a fish like that in my life. And Nico's so happy that the, the Canadians are over on his, in his house and they're going to eat the, the fish that he's just caught, cooked on his little hibachi on the ground there. And so he hands it to me and he's watching with great delight and anticipation. He can hardly wait to see the foreigner enjoy, or the xeno, can hardly wait for the xeno to enjoy the fish, the psari that he's just cooked. And so I'm putting it to my, to my lips and... And I don't know what to do. And he's like watching me. What does he, what's this foreigner do? He does not eat a fish. Long story short, I did choke down this fish, and I think I've swallowed, I got bones in me to this day from that fish. I don't know how to eat a fish. And now he's like, well, here's another one. And he, here's another one. And so I don't know, five or six fish, eyeballs, fins, and the whole works, so all just, just, you know, tear it off, and you just eat that fish. And I thought, God, what i do for you. <laughs> oh, Lord. And now that he's got me hooked on fish, well, he thinks, he decides I should have some oysters. And he just got himself a nice batch of raw, cracked it open. Here, eat. And I said, no, it's okay. <laughs> no, Eat. And so there I am. I do not. I do not understand why people eat these things, especially raw. I mean, it's basically it's down the hatch. What's the point in that? (laughs) Bypasses your taste buds, your teeth, and everything. Just he says, oh, you know, you got to put a little bit of lemon on it. Oh yeah, that'll make it better. (laughs) A little bit of lemon juice on that sucker and down the hatch. You know what? I got to tell you, I'm not crazy about either of those dishes. But I'll tell you what I, I'm crazy about. I'm crazy about the connection. I'm crazy about the fact that now we are considered family because we were with them in their home and we ate with them. Folks, do you understand something? You were never intended to live this life alone. You were it was God's intention that you live in fellowship, in communion. We've got communion here today, in communion with one another. By the way, that's why we, sh- we call it communion, because it's a celebration of God's presence in the midst of his people. I love Greece, and I love the Greek people, because they taught me what it meant to really care about one another. On Wednesday night, we talked about habit number one, which is an individual, personal walk with God. Folks, I want you to know something. Experiencing the presence of God begins with a daily walk with God. But going to church is what completes the sense of the presence of God. And this is why we say in habit number two, you've got to go to church weekly. Because God knows that you and I need each other. God knows that you and I need the family of God. And that's why God created this family called Cross Church, because he knows it's what you need on a regular basis, on a weekly basis, if not more. Dr. Rick Hansen, a neuropsychologist, he says this. This is what, from his studies, he says, humans, watch this, humans are wired with a negativity bias. Our minds naturally focus on the bad And discard the good. Wow, that's how we were born. We were born to think negative. We were born to worry. We were born to be fearful. We were born to bite our fingernails off because we don't know what's coming next. Thank God that He understands our struggle and He understands what we face in this life. Folks, this is why God has given us the church. Because whereby, whereas you and I can experience the presence of God, when we have our personal time of prayer and devotions, I'm going to tell you, folks, that it is magnified in the presence of other believers who are also walking with God. Did you know the earth that, that, that church is an earthly reminder of God's presence? Every time you come to this place, you will discover the presence of God, and you will find yourself flourishing. Every time you remove yourself from the family of God, folks, you begin to die. I don't care what you think. I don't care if you think, I can be a Christian and not go to church. The fact of the matter is, is if you know the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, it's impossible. It's impossible to have a vibrant walk with God and not be part of the family of God. You have to go to church. You have to enter into relationship with his family. I was reading about an old pastor it goes back over 100 years ago. There was an individual in his church that, for whatever reason, quit going to church. And the pastor, not knowing what to say or what to do, he prayed all the way, and we got to the man's house, he knocked on the door, and the man was startled that the minister was there. And he invited the minister in, just sort of nodded, a farmer, a few words. Just the minister taking that as a signal to come in. <laughs> Came in, the the farmer pointed to a chair. The minister sat down in the chair. The farmer sat down in the other chair by the, by the fireplace. And the fire burned. And the minister said nothing, and the farmer said nothing. And finally, the minister praying under his breath, God, show me, show me how to reach this man. The minister reaches over and picks up the tongs and picks up an ember from the fire, pulls it out of the raging fire, and then puts it on the hearth all alone, And then just sits there and waits. And the farmer's looking at that little ember burning. And the farmer's looking at it. And then suddenly that ember burns out. It dies. The light goes out. The minister takes the tongs, picks up that ember, puts it back into the fireplace. And that ember comes to life again. The old farmer sat there watching that, knew exactly, exactly what the message was. The farmer, tears in his cheeks, he said, thank you, pastor, I'll see you on Sunday. With that, the pastor, without saying a word, but saying so much, left that farmer with a great lesson that I want all of us to understand today. If you want to know the presence and the power and the fire of God at work in your life, it's gonna take more than just daily praying and reading your Bible. You need to be with the people of God. Because it's in the presence of God's people that you begin to feel the power and the presence of God. When Noah's boat finally landed and Noah got off that ark, God gave him a sign, a reminder that God would never destroy the earth again through a flood. Folks, do you want to know something in our day and age? God has given us a reminder of his presence and it's called the church. That's why God has established his church. And watch this. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Look at this verse. He says, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I'll build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. God's church on this earth is a living reminder from year to year, century to century, and millennia to millennium, that God loves his people and has promised to be with his people and to never fail his people. Folks, I want you to see the victory that's ours through Jesus Christ. Whatever it is that you're going through, whatever struggle you may be facing, God wants you to know that through Jesus Christ you are more than a conqueror. But it happens, folks, in the context of the body of Christ. This is why you cannot miss church. This is why you need to get to church on a regular basis. Because here's what I know. Anybody who misses church for two, three, four weeks, there's a good chance they'll never go back or they'll be very, very difficult to return. Paul says in Romans 8, 37, No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Notice that Paul is speaking in the plural. It's ours. He doesn't say it's yours. He says it's ours. If you want to know the victory in your life, the success in your life that your heart longs for, then, folks, it's going to happen as you stay plugged into the family of God. We're about to celebrate communion this morning. And... We are obviously remembering that Jesus Christ died for each and every one of us as individuals. But here's what you need to know. He didn't just die for us as individuals. He died for us as a church to establish a brand new family. And in our case, it's called the Cross Church Family. This is the place where God wants you to flourish and grow, where God wants you to learn, where God wants you to knock off the rough edges. I'm so glad I've got two brothers and a sister because I can tell you that my brothers and my sisters, man, they knocked off a lot of rough edges on my life. I'm going to tell you this. This is exactly what the family of God is all about. It makes us better people. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me, please. And I'm going to ask the elders, if you'll come up to prepare to serve communion. Father, we want to say thank you this morning for your presence here. And we want to say thank you for the family of God, which is an enduring reminder of your presence on earth amongst your people. Father, we come here this morning with all of our cares and our concerns, and we're reminded today that we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. But God, this victory is ours in the context of our relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray today, O oh God, that you put in the hearts of everyone here a brand new love for the family of God, understanding, God, that it's here with my brothers and sisters that I am strong. And Lord Jesus, I think of those very, the very last sentence of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus, you said this, and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's a promise to individuals, but it's a promise especially to his church. Father, we pray today that you give us a brand new love and appreciation for this church, this body. We pray that our hearts will be refreshed and encouraged as we reminded once again that we belong to you and we belong to each other. Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you now, Lord, for this time of communion. We pray, O oh God, that our hearts will be refreshed and encouraged again as we know, Lord, as we realize we're not alone. Your presence is with us. God, give us victory this week. Help us with our marriages and our family situation. Help us with our work, with our neighbors. Help us, O oh God. To be more than conquerors through Christ. This morning, folks, this uh, this very special celebration called communion is a celebration of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And this morning, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you put your faith in him, we're going to invite you to come to the table. If you have not yet put your faith in Christ and you're not sure that you are a believer, then just stay where you are and And we're delighted to have you here to worship with us and to have you uh, just observe this ancient practice of the church. We've been doing this for millennia. And it's a celebration of Jesus dying for our sins and taking away our sins, giving us eternal life. It's also a celebration of the fact that everybody who has put their faith in Christ has now become part of a family. When I look across this auditorium today, I see people from different countries, different nations, different backgrounds. But because of your faith in Christ, we're all family. We belong to each other. And it's Jesus Christ who made that possible. It's Jesus who's made us one. So I'm going to ask you to take a moment right now, just to examine your hearts and make sure that there's nothing in your heart that should stop you from taking communion. There's only two things that should stop you from taking communion, and number one is that you're not a believer in Christ. And again, there's, we don't mean any to shame you or anything. That's that's just where you are in your journey right now, and appreciate your honesty and just. Uh, but ask that if you are not a believer, that you You abstain. The other thing is this if you have anything against anybody, there's any any division or any attitude of anger or bitterness or hatred. I'd like you to deal with it right now and ask God to help you forgive that person who's let you down. And if you feel that you can let that go today, then then come. But if you you know you're not ready yet, that's fine. But this is, a, this is for a person that, that understands how much he needs Jesus' forgiveness. And it's for those who understand that they're part of this special body called Cross Church. So I'm going to pray and ask you to pray. And when you're ready, I am just ask you to quietly get up from your seat. People in this section, if you just come this, down this aisle here and you can help yourself here, Dennis, our elder, will serve you there. This section, I'm going to ask you to come up this aisle and receive here. And you just walk around to your seat. In that section, if you'll come up that aisle and then go around. and We'll just have a nice flow this morning. But take a minute right now, and there's no hurry after, after you've received the emblems. I'm going to ask you just to hang on to them so that we all can have them together and we'll all take it together, symbolizing, first of all, that we are all one and then recognizing God's presence here. So let's, let's pray right now, and then we'll begin. Father, thank you for your presence here, and thank you, Lord, for the body of Christ who makes us one. As we gather here today, Father, we acknowledge your presence, and we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would have your way in our hearts. If there's any unforgiveness, God, we want to let that go right now, because your word tells us that we should pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Take away any unforgiveness from our heart and let your love reign because we know that unity best reflects Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we take communion this morning, I pray that each one would feel that overwhelming sense of the presence of God. And that that sense of the presence of God that we've experienced here today would go through us and would nourish us and keep us through the course of the week. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Now, Father, as we receive the resemblance. may it be a precious moment. In Jesus' name.